I'm Heidi. And I'm Nicole. I'm Nicole's mom. And now I'm also a mom. We created this podcast to talk about all the joyful, beautiful, and sometimes awful parts of motherhood. We aren't experts, but we do have experience. Our goal is to talk about motherhood IRL. That means in real life, mom. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. And thanks for joining us in our motherful adventures. Welcome back to the Motherful Podcast. Today we have Liz with us, and Liz is a longtime friend. Um, I, where did we first meet? Were we in the same uh, ward? Is that how we first yep. knew each other? Yeah, I okay. was a young women's advisor. Yep. Yeah, and you. Be- yeah. Then you started babysitting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then you became my pa- piano teacher years later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Kept in touch through piano. <laughs> yep. Um, Liz actually was another guest who reached out to us and volunteered herself. So we took you up on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of regretting that now with all the butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> Liz is a mom of five. She was born and raised in Canada and hates small talk and takes her chocolate very seriously. She can't understand why American chocolate is not as good as the chocolate in the North. Always a wannabe ballerina girly girl, Liz has recently found one of her true passions is playing in the mud. Clay mud, that is. Wheel-thrown pottery is her therapy, and she's hoping to start her home-based pottery business this year. Liz loves good food, sleeping in, traveling, period dramas, reading, intuitive eating, and all things creative. Liz hates it when she has to get up early and when people don't understand the zippering concept when traffic is merging. That is so, that is true. I don't understand it either. I mean, I don't know why people don't understand it. No, I don't have true road rage, but that is something that brings out the impatience in me in the car. Yeah. It's a very simple concept, right? It is. Take turns. Yeah. Same thing we tell our kids. Okay. Do you want to do lightning round? Yeah, I'll ask some. I'll ask some questions. Okay. So we have a couple birthday questions because this week Nicole had a birthday and I have a birthday. Woo! Happy birthday! (laughs) So, what is your favorite birthday tradition, either with you or with your family? Well, since it was your birthday and Nicole's birthday, I will say what my personal favorite tradition is because it's maybe a little unusual. Okay. Um, okay. I kind of don't, didn't love birthdays for a really long time, maybe because I'm like a romantic and I'd always get my hopes up. Right. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it would never work out the way that I hoped. So oh no. I got to the point where I'm just like, I'm going to ask for exactly what I want. And usually with, you know, a toddler and a house full of people, that is, I would like to plan a weekend just by myself in a hotel room where I can sleep in, I can order room service, I can watch Netflix and read uninterrupted. And so now that is my favorite birthday tradition. That's awesome. My goodness. That is really funny. Like all by yourself, not even with your husband. No. And I mean, it won't be on my actual birthday. So like, I don't even, we will do the like cake. We're pretty simple, like cake and dinner, but um, that's what I look forward to is planning that weekend and being yeah. able oh to goodness. like take that guilt-free. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That is the best. Okay. I just have to add, I ended up celebrating my birthday three different times because the first two times sucked because we brought my baby, our baby with us <laughs> and we went, we tried to go to dinner and it was miserable. And then the next, well, my birthday was on Sunday, so it's not like mm-hmm. we could do a whole lot, but that right. whole day, I think she was getting a tooth 
and she oh. was just so clingy and so miserable. And I was like, nope, today doesn't count. We're, we're doing something tomorrow. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so we celebrated to. the day after again, a third time. Oh, good. <laughs> you, you know what? There's no limit. There's no, no limit. Whatever you're, you're up for, you whatever your birthday we can handle. Yeah. Well, hey, my Nicole. favorite yeah. birthday tradition um, would be when we were kids, we would worship the birthday person. So every on the birthday person's birthday, <laughs> they would sit in a special chair and we would all take turns telling them what we love about them or our favorite thing about them. <laughs> and as a kid, that was like the best part of your birthday was like making your siblings tell you why they like you. <laughs> That's <laughs> so good. Something okay, you don't question. hear very often. <laughs> were their answers always like sincere and legitimate or were they like kind of backhanded? I insult sometimes I think no, for the they most were. part they were oh yeah they were sincere because they knew yeah. I would make them think of a real one if it wasn't I'm sure I'm sure we tried to sneak sincere. some backhanded ones in there and then we were always forced to come up with a real one in the end so that's such a great idea I love that yeah but it, it, it actually um came to me one day and uh because our birthday, we have a birthday season in our family it's six weeks after Christmas we're all oh having goodness. birthdays and so it came to me once and I was like, you know what, we just have to, um, it teaches kids how to, uh, give compliments really yeah, is for what sure. it does and accept compliments as well. So that's awesome because, you know, probably complimenting your siblings is one of the harder things to do when you're a child, you know, so yeah. you try the challenge. Have you tried doing it as an adult? <laughs> yeah. That's I don't know. not easy. It would depend on the sibling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our current form of worshiping is probably my favorite birthday tradition, which is usually a text thread nowadays of, um, what everybody loves about that person. Or I think last year, Nicole, did we do like your favorite memory of so-and-so? Yeah, favorite memory or favorite yeah. picture. And this one, this one does turn out to be quite um, sarcastic. I can imagine the pictures that are coming through right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. A couple texts in and you're like, hmm, is this actually making this person's day better? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that, though, because especially when you're all spread out, that's such a great way for you all to kind of celebrate that person. Yeah, that's awesome. It's fun. Okay, what is your birthday cake of choice, Liz? Mm, this is a hard one because I'm not really a cake person. Me either. Um, if I would probably be a cheesecake girl. Um, but okay. it has to be like really good cheesecake. And maybe like it's got to have like blueberry or maybe hot fudge or something on it. Yeah, I'm the same. We've always done Costco cheesecake. I think we started at like my 16th birthday, maybe. And ever since then, it's been Costco cheesecake every year. Costco cheesecake. Yeah, go wrong. That's what dad likes, too. He likes cheesecake. Uh, well, actually, he used to like cheesecake until we discovered the marzipan cake from Schmidt's Bakery in Salt Lake. I've never and, heard of that. Um, marzipan is a, it's a German like almond, right? Yes. It's like almond paste, but it's like a German, Mm. uh, it's in German pastries and stuff. And we just love it. So, um, (laughs) we started, our birthdays are only like 12 days apart. So we get a one marzipan cake for Mark's birthday and then we put the rest of it, like the other half of it in and I get a half of a birthday cake (laughs) (laughs) 12 days later. That's That's funny. Yeah. Okay, what's your favorite artsy craft? 
Well, right now that's an easy question to answer because I am just all about wheel thrown pottery. That is my life right now. And I just love it. So So you have your own wheel at your house? I don't have my own wheel yet. I take classes in Alpine from a local artist. And then I do, I have an open studio that I can go to anytime that's in Riverton. And yeah, I I just love it. And then I I did get a kiln this last week. So it's beginning. That is so cool. Yes. It's arriving at my home and I'm so excited and nervous. That's so cool. That's so ambitious. That's like, it it feels that way right now (laughs) at the beginning, you know, anything new. Yeah. Okay, what's yours, Nicole? Um, probably just the first thing that came to my head was friendship bracelets, which is kind of dumb because I would never make a friendship bracelet right now. But I was telling Tanner how excited I am for Finley to grow up so that we can make friendship bracelets together. And he totally rolled his eyes. He was like, our house is going to be full of those one day, isn't it? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And I am so excited for that day. <laughs> is, that a, is that reminiscent of girls camp, Nicole? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's why that first came to my head is because that was like my entire teenage years was (laughs) dedicated to making different kinds of friendship bracelets. (laughs) Do you remember when you were so into the beaded bracelets? Yes. Paper beads? Paper beads. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That was actually pretty cool, though. Yep. That was fun. Okay, so mine is a... um, my current obsession, it's just whatever craft I feel like I want to do, which is not that many. But um, I started reteaching myself how to crochet recently. So um, I learned as a young woman, we had probably something someone taught us in uh, one of our youth activities. And then I kind of remembered it. And thanks to YouTube, I was able to learn some new stitches. And um, so I made like, two scarves. I've made a couple of hot pads and Finley's got a cute little hat that I don't know if she'll ever wear, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) A little beanie. (laughs) So right now it's crochet, but usually it's quilting. I've been quilting for years. So I really admire people who quilt. I feel like it takes such patience and like over an extended period of time. And like, for me, maybe that's why I love pottery is it's like, I can sit down and throw a whole pot in a short period of time. I love the results of quilting, but man, it is a lot of work. Yeah. I kind of feel like quilting is fairly quick when you're, um, I think I started it when I had little kids, because if I was just working on multiples, you know, a quilt is made up of multiple squares. And so I could just sew a square in like 10 minutes Mm, or whatever. And then I feel like, oh, I've got a square done. And so Hmm. I don't know, that's kind of how it is for me. But yes, over time, putting it all together, it does take a little bit of time. Okay, Liz, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about um, your family and your kids, and we'll just get into it. Okay. Well, my husband, David, and I have been married for going on 22 years. Um, We were married pretty young. I was uh, 22, and he was uh, 23. Um, We have five kids. Blake, who's 19. Sydney's 18. Grant is 14. Grayson is 12. And then um, we had a little surprise happen. We brought home a little souvenir (laughs) from our 18th anniversary, and so now we have a souvenir. I love it. Best souvenir ever, and the most tiring one. But he's two and a half. Oh, my goodness. Um, And he is just a strong-willed but very intelligent talkative little guy so he's captured all our hearts and yeah so what's the what's the break in age between 
bow and then the ten, next 10 years. Yeah. Ten I was years. almost, yeah, I was almost oh 41 gosh. and I was back in school and kind of like, you know, deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up and then boom, I was just blindsided. <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to be a mom again. <laughs> yep. So here we are again doing the diaper thing and the toys all over the living room and all of it. But one thing is true that when you have a caboose, you really appreciate everything a lot more because you just recognize how fast yeah. it goes. You yep. know? Yeah. So. Well, that's what makes your story so interesting. That's why we're so excited you wanted to talk yeah. with us because we love that you know, you're totally embracing your bonus baby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I have to say when I found out I was in shock for a few weeks and I cried for a few weeks. (laughs) Um, And my husband was surprisingly excited because he was at first when we decided we were kind of done, he was the one who was done, 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 you know, Um, but our roles kind of reversed and I had felt done, done, done. And he was like really excited. So that helped me warm up to the idea. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And it's been so fun having older kids um, just to appreciate all the funny and cute things that they do. Cause it's like, he has this whole audience all the time. Yeah. Oh, everyone, totally. everyone sharing <laughs> every, I mean, he's going to love the spotlight. He's not going to know what to do with himself if he doesn't have full attention on yeah. everyone, but yeah. 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 And when everyone leaves and he's home by himself, like, you know, when they all move out or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and he's 10. And he's like, where'd everyone go? I know. It's so sad. I'm like, Dave, we're going to have to like travel with him or something yeah, because for that's sure. going to be hard on him. I do feel bad about that. He doesn't have, yeah. he doesn't have like a buddy his age. So yeah, that's hard. But he'll have lots of good friends that can. He, he might um, he might be an uncle to some kids that are closer to his age by then. Who knows? No, no, not. True. I'm not making any announcements. But <laughs> well, okay. So for our listeners, I mentioned this in one of our previous episodes. But we, when we invite a guest to to join us on the podcast, we typically just send them a questionnaire, and it's pretty much just for us to get to know them because usually we don't end up talking about anything on the questionnaire. We just have a random (laughs) conversation and it always turns out great. But (laughs) today I've been telling Liz over and over, I'm like, I love every single one of your answers. So we might just go down the list and go question by question, (laughs) which we've never done before. But (laughs) there's so many good things in here. Because I feel like I was boring. I'm like, I really don't have like any like amazing life stories to share. Like it's all kind of little things. So that's the point is like, (laughs) it's a lot of everybody has little things and it's just, it's just being willing to share them. And, and I think everybody appreciates little things more than you know, the big crazy stories. So right, more more relatable. So why don't you start with like pregnancy and birth for you? Yeah, so I well, I'll start off by saying I have always been fascinated by pregnancy and birth. I hate being pregnant. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I get enormous. I have extra fluid. It's like I'm carrying this giant watermelon on its side. And so I have like ligament pain and back pain and I can't sleep and it's awful. Um, but I just love, I just, it's such a miracle and just, it's just amazing how our bodies work. And so, Mm -hmm. and then the whole excitement of birthday is just, I told you, it's like, it's like Christmas morning when you're a kid times a thousand. Like that's how exciting it was for me. I I love love how you describe it like that. (laughs) Oh, because it's just like this amazing surprise that you've been waiting nine months for. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. you think 25 days is a long time when you're a little kid, but like 
nine right. months is so long to wait. So long. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels yeah. even longer when you're big and pregnant. Yeah. But no, I, and it's funny because like definitely your first baby, it is kind of scary. You just, it's the unknown. You don't know what to expect. Um, but just the idea of meeting this little person who is a part of you and belongs to you and seeing what they look like and just having them in your arms and sharing that experience with your spouse. Like it's just such an incredibly moving day, like the whole thing. And even when things go wrong, because Blake, my first, he was like pushed for two and a half hours. He was a forceps delivery. It was a really hard, hard labor. But then Sydney, who was nine pounds, 12 ounces. So she was an enormous baby. Huge. Yeah. And I just pretty much laughed her out. Like they're like, stop laughing. She's coming. The doctor's not here. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is the best birth ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then there's Grant and he was sunny side up. And so a lot of pushing heart rate dropping, which was a little scary. And then with Grace and I got really adventurous and I was like, I'm going to go no pain meds, natural childbirth. And so I had a midwife and it was in the hospital, but I did not have an epidural or any pain meds. I did, however, have Pitocin, which is like (gasps) the devil drug. And so I had a basically a natural labor on Pitocin. Um, I wouldn't advise that. It was really terrible. That's a terrible (laughs) idea, Liz. (laughs) Well, I'll say that it was traumatic, you know, it was traumatic, but it was also the most empowering thing I've ever done in my whole life. Like afterwards, oh, yeah. I felt like I could move a mountain with my bare hands. It was incredible yeah. The, yeah. the feelings that I had. So I I really wanted to try for a natural birth with Finley and I was nervous yeah. and I wasn't I wasn't like a hundred percent set on it. Like it wasn't like I was like, I'm a failure if I get an epidural, but I just kind of wanted to right. see how far I could go. And I made it to right. a nine and I was so proud of myself. And I did not regret one bit getting the epidural when I did like, cause I, mm-hmm. I knew I could make it that far. And then at that point I got the epidural and then I could enjoy the actual yeah. birth. And so it was just, yeah. yeah, it worked out so perfectly. Like I remember after she was born, just being like, wow, how did I get so lucky that literally everything went exactly how I wanted it to like, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And you missed the ring of fire, which is one of the worst parts. So yep. good choice. Yep. I didn't even know that they would do epidurals like that when you were that far along. Like, I don't think they did. I think, I, was, I, think I was lucky because I was waiting for the doctor to come in to break my water because I was at like an eight or a nine and my water hadn't broken. Mm-hmm. And so I was waiting for the doctor and she was taking forever And so finally I was like, I don't think I can keep doing this. And then they were telling me that since my water hadn't broken, even if my water broke, I would have to wait. Or even if I was at a 10, I would have to wait to push because the baby was still so high because the water was in the way, the water bag. So Mm -hmm. at that point I was like, okay, so either I wait for the doctor or I wait for the anesthesiologist. And so at that point I was like, well, you better just send an anesthesiologist in here because who knows when the doctor is going to be here. And I might even be waiting for hours after that to be able to push. And he, he just happened to be right down the hall. So he came right in and yeah, I, I think that was really just lucky though, that, that they got it to me when they did. Yeah. That's pretty rare. I think for your water to remain intact that long. So yeah. Yeah. Grayson or Bo was like a totally different situation. And I went into it again thinking like, 
I didn't have a midwife. I had an OBGYN. Um, and I went into it thinking I was going to do it without pain meds again. Um, but I just was not progressing. And I, I got so tired after hours and hours of being in labor without anything. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think I started having a little bit of panic that like remembering all of a sudden it was coming back to me, the pain that I experienced with Grayson for as long Because you guys, I have to say, I was not brave. Like, okay, I did it, but I screamed him out into the world. In fact, yeah. I had a friend who was working like around the hall, way down the hall. And she was like, I heard you screaming from there with my door closed. And I felt so bad for you. And I'm like, those poor women that were around yeah. my room, I probably scared them to death. But so I thought I could do it. And after a while, I was just like, you know what? I don't need to be a hero here. I'm too old to deal with this. I'm too tired. (laughs) Give me the epidural. And it actually ended up being a huge blessing. And it's just amazing how Heavenly Father really puts things into place for miracles to happen because um, he was just, I was, he was not coming down and his heart, they put a monitor on him and his heart rate was just dropping. And Dave and I remember just like, sitting there listening to the monitor beeping, you know, and it just got slower and slower and slower. And then all of a sudden, I just knew like something's wrong. I knew. And I was just instantly like sobbing and terrified. And the red light goes on on the door and they're making calls and people are rushing into the room and like, it's all a blur, but I am uh, ended up having an emergency C-section um, because the cord was wrapped around his neck two and a half times. And so as oh, he was man. coming down, it, it was strangling him. And his heart rate was so low that we were really afraid that we were going to lose him. And so when they pulled him out and we heard him cry, we just both burst into tears. Yeah, And it was just, it was amazing to see, like, had I not had the epidural, they would have had to put me under and I would have missed that. And, um, And then my doctor, he was incredible. I was in such a panic and I really felt like we might lose this baby. And I, I was honestly having a bit of a panic attack and Mm -hmm. my doctor knew just what to do. And as he wheeled me into the operating room, there was a window with the most gorgeous sunset. And he said, Liz, take a minute and look at that sunset. It's just for you. And instantly I just felt this peace and calm come over me. And it was like this amazing gift that he had the, the inspiration to give to me at that time that just like helped me really calm down and, and just recognize that heavenly father had a hand in all of this. So it was a pretty miraculous um, situation, even though it was kind of scary, a little traumatic, not what I expected. But, you know, each birth is so unique and special. And I think it helps if you don't have expectations going into it. I mean, it's great to have hopes for what you would like to happen. But just to recognize that, you know, that baby will come the way it needs to come and things will happen mm-hmm. the way they need to. And and if you go into it kind of like open to what whatever might happen, I think your, your chances of having a, a better outcome are good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective. That's great. So, um, what is different with Bo than with, um, the older kids, as far as your mothering techniques or challenges, what's easier, what's harder? Yeah. So I, th- I feel like I'm a more confident mother now just because you've been through all these different personalities and different ways of handling things. So you have got some more tools in your belt, you know. Right. Um, and so I'm definitely more confident. I'm probably a lot more laid back about certain things. And I don't worry as much as I did with the first or second, you know, about a lot of little things that, you know, you kind of 
just really scare you because you just don't know any better when it's your first or your second. And so, mm-hmm. so I'm mm-hmm. definitely more relaxed that way. Um, I definitely appreciate every, okay, maybe not the tantrums or the sleepless nights, but right. <laughs> I appreciate um, this every stage, even with its difficulties, because man, I look at that 19 year old boy, Blake, I'm going to get emotional. And Mm -hmm. I I remember that little tiny boy that he was. And I think that's the tragedy of motherhood is that we have these little people that we care for day in and day out. And they're our world and we're their world. And then they grow and they kind of just disappear. And they become completely different people in a lot of ways. And so when I look at like videos or pictures, it's heartbreaking in so many ways because you miss those little people that they were and they just, they're not there anymore. And so I'm just like really trying to soak in every stage because I know the day will come when I'll look at those pictures and those videos and they will break my heart and I'll miss that little bow, you know, running around destroying my living room. And so (laughs) in that way, it's been amazing to be like an older mother again, an old new mom. That's what I call myself is an old new mom. Yeah. (laughs) An old new mom. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. I was curious. You said with your first three babies, you did cry it out. And then with your next two, you did something different. And I would love to know what that different thing is. Because I feel like every method is like a different version of cried out. It's like, oh, let them cry out for like 30 minutes or go in at two minute intervals or do five and then wait 10 and then wait 15. So how did you handle sleeping? Well, let me preface this by saying like, I don't think any mom should feel guilty for making different choices because we're all doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have and the capability that we have. Some of us, you know, do better on little sleep than others and our mental health is all in different places. And so no one should feel judged by my personal experience. Um, but like I did, I did cry it out with Blake and Sydney. And I remember with Blake, like he cried probably like for an hour the first night and I sat by the door and I just sobbed. Like it just broke my heart, but that's what my mom did. And that's what my friends were doing. And that's kind of what a lot of women did like, Oh, they have to learn to self soothe. And so I didn't, I didn't really know any different. And so I did the same with Sydney, the same with Grant and by Grayson, like something in, I think maybe I had read a few, came across a few little things that just really resonated with me. Um, and so I really researched like studies on biological normal sleep habits for babies and, you know, why they wake up so much at night and what, what the purpose of answering those cries, like what that does. And so I learned that it is really biologically normal for babies to wake um, through the night up until age two. And I know a lot of moms are going to hear this and be like, oh, do not tell me that. I do not like you right now. <laughs> I totally get it. But from just a purely biological standpoint, it is very normal. And the thing I learned is that the first three years of a child's life are critical for attachment. And the main, one of the main and most important things they're learning is trust. And so they're learning to trust those in their life that provide care for them. They're learning to trust that their needs will be met. And by learning that, it actually, they, they know that it helps children develop empathy for others and it can help them. Uh, develop secure attachment and better sleep habits and just all sorts of benefits if it's if they can form this attachment and part Mm -hmm. of that attachment is that 
when a baby has a need, whether they're hungry, whether they have a wet diaper, uh, a lot of times they might be scared. Like these, they're brand new in the world and there's all these weird sounds and strange things that they see and they're changing so rapidly and they change quickly, sometimes overnight. And so everything's new to them constantly. So sometimes they may just need comfort. They might just wake up and be scared. And whenever we have the ability to meet that need, we are reinforcing that sense of trust. We are teaching them to be empathetic and helping them form those secure attachments. And so whenever we do the opposite and they're left to cry, Babies actually don't, they know that babies don't actually learn to self-soothe. That's a developmental thing. It's not something that they learn, like, say, within the first or second year necessarily of life. It's a developmental stage. So what they actually learn is that, well, no one's coming, so I'm just going to give up. They still have the need, but they learn that that need isn't going to be met, and so they just give up. Hmm. So when I learned all of these things, I was like, "That's interesting." Yeah, it's it is. It's fascinating, and there's like there is you know research, so much research behind this. Yeah. Um, but when I learned that, it just spoke to my heart. Like this is what I need to do for this baby. And Grayson was hard. He was a really high needs baby. He was cranky and fussy and colicky. Um, but I was bound to determine that I was going to meet his needs, and I did. And he was a horrible sleeper for three years. Like I got up regularly with him at night for three years, but I always like to tell myself I can do anything hard for a little while. And now he is my best sleeper. He is my most empathetic child. He, he and I have just an amazing attachment and I just, that worked for us. It was really hard and it was a huge sacrifice, but for me, my soul just felt better with that as a as, yeah. as my way of responding. And so Bo, I've done the same thing. In fact, we co-sleep because I actually had some heart issues and I was in the ICU and I was too weak to get him in and out of his crib when I came home. And so he I actually brought him into bed with me when he was about seven months old and we've been sleeping together since then. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Yeah. But I'm also like, man, the day is coming so soon when he's going to be a big boy in his own bed and I won't have those little snuggles or that good morning, mama, or yeah. I love you, mama, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, it just feels good to me. And I think that's the main takeaway is that you have to do what speaks to your intuition and your, you know, trust your gut and your instincts and, but trust that nurturing side of yourself, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's the side that's really going to give you Sometimes it might be easier for us to do different things, but that's the side that I think is going to tell you what's best for your baby. Yeah. And it can change over time. Like you say, like it, it was one way once and now it's another way. Yeah. So I was going to say also, did you feel like, um, the nurturing or whatever changed based on your child's personality? Because I don't recall I mean, it's been a long time, but I know that I did do cry it out with, um, a couple of children, but I know for a fact that my last was, he was just a great sleeper. So he just went to sleep on his own. Like I didn't have to do that. And so that wasn't traumatic for me, but it was like my mom raised eight children and, and she had, um, very specific ways of, um, mothering and shared them with me when I had my first two girls. And actually after the second, I was like, okay, uh, this is going to be a little different for me than it was for you, mom. <laughs> right. And yeah. So yeah. I, um, I just feel like the personality of the child can also determine the way you parent them, especially with this, 
um, sleep situation because it is tiring. Oh, for sure. Oh, it's so tiring. And you know what? I think the thing too is like, you're not going to ruin your child. Like if you're able to form a strong attachment, that's what matters the most. Um, and, and it's, you're right. Like you might have so many children, you might have children with special needs. You might just not be able to handle that kind of lack of sleep. And if you're not mentally healthy or able to function well, you're not going to be as good a mom. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Moms who really need that sleep are going to be the ones that cry it out is actually better for them. Like mom's mental health is definitely going to have to take priority in a situation like that. Right. And I think that's where you trust your gut. And I think that's where, you know, don't rely so much on other, what other people say or books or anything else. Just kind of go with what you know to be right and it will work out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more thing that I really wanted to, to touch on was, um, intuitive eating. So as your kids have gotten older, you said that you've been really focused on teaching them how to eat intuitively. So Tell us everything about that. <laughs> you don't want me to tell you everything about that. <laughs> okay. Tell us the most important parts about um, that. Because I'm actually curious. And in our last episode, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, teaching your kids about body image and, right. you know, how to how to raise kids who have healthy self-esteem. And being um, fit physically, you know, health, physically healthy as well as mentally healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like this is just kind of going to tag on to the end of that. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, if my, my teenage daughter heard me talking about this, she would totally <laughs> roll her eyes because she just thinks I talk about it way too much. Um, <laughs> no, I do because, you know, I was a dancer all through um, later elementary years and then high school. And I definitely dabbled a little bit in eating disorders. And it's just, there's just so much pressure placed on women and even men to have a certain type of body. And that body is often mistakenly um, linked with health. And that's just not a fact. Um, You can be healthy and have a body of a lot of different sizes. And it looks different for everyone. It's not always what you see at the gym or in the magazines or, you know, that might not be the healthiest point for you. Um, So that's part of it. But the main gist of intuitive eating is that you learn to trust your body and you learn to recognize your hunger cues, your fullness cues. Um, you learn to appreciate all different kinds of food and their variety, um, including the sweet foods, including those things that maybe caused you guilt in the past. Um, because when we kind of moralize food, when we say food is either good or bad or, or bad, these words right. like junk, then mm-hmm. your brain is actually kind of going into this mode of restriction. And they know that having a restrictive um, mindset about food actually drives a lot of problematic behaviors like binge eating, binging, yep. like not just, you know, emotional, more emotional eating, which it's okay to emotionally eat once in a while. Like that's, you know, not a big deal, but it can, it can drive a lot of problems. And so to me, it's just really important that my kids understand that there is no good or bad foods. They're not clean or dirty. It's food is just food. And some food is cultural and some food is enjoyable and it's fun to cook with people and it's fun to have this eat with people and have this experience and it can fuel your body. And, you know, there's just all sorts of purposes and they can all be for good. Because when I think when we do that, we're able to then recognize like, oh, I'm full. And you can honor that fullness instead of eating way past it. Um, because, mm-hmm. food is, you know, you shouldn't, or, you know, it can prevent like those binge eating problems, because it loses its power, 
you know, when it becomes normalized. And so I really just want my kids to understand to like, listen to their bodies. Like if they want a cookie, get a cookie. Don't make it a big deal. Eat your cookie, then move on with your day. Like you shouldn't have guilt about it. It shouldn't be a bad thing. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. So here's one thing that's happened a lot in my house. Um, Someone will come into the kitchen, look in the pantry, close the pantry door, open the fridge, close the fridge door, and then be like, I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your response to that? I'm bored, so I'm going to eat. And I think that's where intuitive eating really actually helps with that because you just learn to recognize when you're bored and when you're just eating because you're bored. Yeah. So what what does it look like when you're teaching your kids about it? Like, are there specific phrases that you use? Or like, do you pay attention to what they're eating and just kind of like help them to recognize their cues? Or Yeah, so I pretty much have gotten rid of a lot of the food rules, right? Like, don't eat this before a certain time. Don't eat after this time. Like if you feel hungry, then have something to eat. I mean, obviously if I'm making a nice dinner, I don't want them filling up on crackers in the cupboard before we eat my nice yeah. dinner that I prepared. So I might say like, have have one or two and then we have this nice dinner. But I don't force them to eat anything. Um, I will encourage them to try something that they may think that they don't like. But because I want them to grow up with a healthy um, experience with food, I don't force them to eat their dinner. If they're if they feel full, then I'm going to trust those feelings of them being full, and I'm not going to make them clean their plate. Mm-hmm. And I I don't we don't like words like bad you know this is bad food or this is junk food. So we try and stay away from like those words that kind of moralize food. And like when it's Halloween, they have their Halloween candy. I let them have at it until they're tired of it or it's done. And you would be surprised because it really lasts them quite a while because they're not just pounding it, you know, and if they do, and if they start to feel a little sick, that's a great teaching moment. And I could say, well, your tummy's feeling sick right now. That might be a sign that maybe that was a little too much candy. And next time you need to pay attention to how you feel a little bit more before you eat that much candy. Yeah. So it's all about them learning how to recognize all of these things in themselves and appreciate a wide variety of food and their bodies. I don't want them to critique their bodies or even really focus on it. I want them to exercise because they love to ride their bike because they Mm -hmm. love to run outside, not because they're trying to like lose weight or develop a certain kind of physique. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And there are definitely ways you can kind of like have, I don't want to say restrictions, but you can have like limitations. So, you know, like my food thing, like you can have a couple crackers or, you know, you don't want them eating ice cream for dinner. So like, here's a few choices. Would you like to choose one of them? Like give them options and definitely just exposing them to all different kinds of foods and cultural foods and all kinds of things like, and knowledge is power, right? The more they understand like, Ooh, look at the nutrients in this particular food. Did you know that carrots can help your eyes see so much better? Like when (laughs) those are things that will stick with them and they might still choose to eat like peanut butter and jam every single day or live off of cereal like my 14 year old but one day (laughs) one day their palates will mature and they'll remember a lot of those things and because you didn't restrict everything they're just more likely to have a better relationship and a and a better more well-rounded diet yeah well on that note I think we can move on to our final question what advice would you give to your former self about becoming a mother my little my little thought is 
I kind of already touched on this, but just take all the pictures, take all the pictures, (laughs) take all the videos, because the day will come when, yes, you'll be bawling in front of the TV watching them, but they become so precious. And just the other day, Dave and I were watching a video of, of Blake and Sydney when they were tiny, and Dave had to leave the room. He got so emotional and oh, doesn't to do goodness. that in front of people. <laughs> that is but so you know cute. What? It was like having a visit with little Blake and little Sydney again. And you forget yeah. like what their little voices sound like and the funny little things they do. And I wish I had so much more of that because we didn't have phones. Like I didn't have a cell phone back then to just easily do it. And so yeah, take, take them all, do it, yeah. you know, and it will just become such great treasures to you in the future. Yeah. And write it down too. Like I wish I'd kept like a little journal beside my bed and just like every night, wrote down like the funniest thing one of my kids said or you know something like that because all those little things just like they kill you when you get older and you can like look through them and look what you said you know I feel so lucky that we have snapchat because Nicole shares videos of Finley with us every single day oh and I'm just so grateful for that because I wouldn't I feel like I'm a part of you know her growing up and we're four hours away yeah but I still get to see her on a regular basis, even though she such, doesn't know it. Such a <laughs> yeah. blessing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was so fun to connect with you guys again. It was a great conversation. This has been super awesome. It was so fun getting to know you both better and just hearing your stories too. So thanks for joining us for another episode. We hope you found inspiration for your own life. And hopefully we're as funny as we think we are. Find us on Instagram at The Motherful Podcast for updates on each episode.